0: You are listening to the airing cupboard, the podcast where the extraordinary stories of ordinary people get an airing. Phew, that's a mouthful. Hello and welcome back into the airing cupboard. I have had many messages saying that you have enjoyed Susan's story uh, from two weeks ago. She bravely put a picture of herself and Peter on our private uh, Facebook group and um, probably like me, you have loved discovering their gorgeous little faces. It's so nice to be able to put a face to a voice. Today's story is given to us by Jonathan. I once spent a New Year's Eve with him. It was years ago. But he touched up on a story, and a detail triggered my interest. It stayed with me all those years, and so I contacted him quite recently, and he agreed to meet me on a Friday night in a pub in Suffolk, next to the river. Jonathan grew up in a large family. He was a second child in a family of four children. His parents were cultured, his mother an ex-model with a degree in anthropology and linguistics, his father, Cambridge-educated man. Jonathan has barely any memory of his father during his early childhood. He worked all week and weekends were busy, entertaining friends in the great social game. Was he an absent father? He's not sure, but he was absent to him. His parents were interested by the world around them and they strongly communicated this to their children. The old and crumbling manor in North Cambridgeshire, in which he spent the very early years of his life, was the cradle of rich and vibrant, interesting life. It was the 70s. The old place was always full of other children, exuberant adults. The little boy had all the freedom to roam and explore, the overgrown gardens providing endless enjoyment and discovery. But. What the child liked the best was to follow his mother in her tasks. His small legs firmly planted in his green wellington boots. He would follow her every movement, inside, outside. He was a little shadow in all she did, trailing in her golden, vibrant and secure presence. He remembers that winter on a very cold morning, as the two of them were walking up the track, his mother had decided to jump both feet in a massive cow pad. The child had stared in excitement, waiting for the brown muck to spatter everywhere, and was amazed when nothing had happened. The puddle had frozen out that night, and his mother had burst out laughing in front of the child's confused gaze, and came forward to kiss him on his round cheeks, ruffle his blonde hair, He also remembers her whispering voice calling his name, stirring him from his sleep in the dead of night once, getting him up slowly and guiding him to the chicken coop, where side by side, in silence, they observed the eggs hatching, one by one, the little beak breaking through the shell, life softly bursting out of the egg, His mother's face turned to his in a smile, her eyes warm with love. She took his hand in hers, and together they watched in awe. The family then moved on to South Africa, on a big farm, where freedom was at its best. Jonathan was old enough to roam around on his own, explore the many hidden gems the farm was hiding, explore the imaginary world of childhood, sometimes on his own, sometimes with friends, whatever the colour of the skin, oblivious to the apartheid that was raging at the time, sheltered by the remote situation of the farm maybe, but mostly by the innocence of his tender age. His older brother wasn't with them, He had stayed behind in England. He was at boarding school there. So somehow it had always seemed normal and expected that one day Jonathan would follow. That was how things were done. British families living overseas sent their children to England to school. They would come back once a term, Christmas, Easter, not always. And so the time came for Jonathan to go. He was only nine. His mother had busied herself organizing his suitcase, tagging every single piece of clothing he was going to take with him, going over the top as if it was the last thing she could do for her little boy, sewing each of the tags with invisible threads of her love and tenderness. When that last summer came to an end, when it was time to go, his father was busy. He couldn't see him off. And so, in Jonathan's memory, his father is absent from that moment too. So his mother, his elder brother and himself got into the car and left. He was just about tall enough to watch the landscapes of his childhood Slowly passing by, framed by the open window, his blonde hair flying in his face. We do not cry. At the airport, as the aerostess that was taking care of him was waiting, he hugged his mother. Or did she hug him? He can't remember. A bit of him was already gone. And prep school in England was good, it was busy, it was framed, organized, regimented, no spare time, no time to idle or wander, no time to think too much. Sports, activities and learning, lots of learning. And Jonathan was bright, showing exceptional aptitudes, his father would be very pleased. The boy was very promising indeed. That would interest him. How did he feel? Did he miss home? Did he miss his mother, his father? He's not really sure. He wasn't really thinking of home. He was just getting on, as all the other boys of his age, some even younger, were. Getting on with it. However, there was a spanner in the wheel. Once a week, he would be asked to sit in the big study hall with all the other pupils, and they would be given sheets of paper, a pen, and an envelope, and an hour. An hour to write home. An hour to think about them, there on the other continent, at the farm, without him. An hour to remember, to inspect the void. Jonathan would stare at the white page, lost for words, literally. Adults wanted him to speak about rugby matches, mashed potatoes, suppers, green cricket pitches. That is when he should have learned, like a good boy to use the words that disguise, the words that don't express in any ways the feelings inside. But he was too free, too earnest to do so. So instead, he didn't write anything, nothing at all. He would carefully wait and pretend he was writing as to not alert the master Then he would fold a blank page and put it in the envelope, seal it and carefully write his father's name and his home address with his best handwriting. Every week for that first term he sent a blank letter home. He would explain the thoughts when they would be reunited. Christmas came and it was time to fly back to South Africa to be reunited with his parents, his two younger siblings. As he and his brother arrived, the family was there to welcome them, all of them. A little awkwardness at first, strange to be back. His older brother was better at coming home than he was. He knew what to say, what seemed to be expected in such occasions. As they all sat around the table to celebrate this joyous family reunion, something happened. Neither his father nor his mother did mention the blank letters, not a word. As if they didn't exist. Weren't they surprised? Did they not need an explanation? he would have gladly explained to them that writing was just too difficult, that he was happy in school, that he was coping, doing really well academically, but they didn't say anything. And so, he didn't either. And, as if things couldn't get any worse on this first reunion, his father, his mother, his Younger siblings, possibly all desperate to bring him back into the fold, explained in great details what had happened on the farm since his departure, about the new workers, the animals, the freak weather, and it suddenly dawned on him that life had carried on, carried on simply without him. He wasn't part of it anymore. And as the joyfully spoke, he quietly withdrew. Is it at that precise moment that his feeling of abandonment or rejection was born, or was it just confirmed? Only Jonathan knows, but that dinner was a moment of shift in his little life. Something was never to be the same again after that. During that Christmas break, he didn't manage to enjoy the old place anymore. He felt as an outsider. Gone was the easy contact with all and everything. He didn't belong. He was eager to rejoin school. And then came the anger. If he didn't belong, feel part, he should give them reason, prove them right, and behave in a way that would legitimate his feeling. Of rejection or abandonment. At least in his head and in a completely subconscious manner. It wouldn't be about who he was, but about what he was doing. And so he started misbehaving. Mildly first, and then from his prep school, he moved on to a public school where he was little for his age and young in his class, And it was easy for him to just buff himself up by being noticed. And so he pushed the limits a little further. All the time. His academic results didn't suffer. He was bright. But his social behavior worsened. And somehow he now feels this stopped him from seizing his chances, his opportunities. A year passed. And with every school report that came and landed on his father's desk came a little bit more attention from his father but a little bit more disappointment, a little bit more distance and the gap between father and son widened. Neither of them knew how on earth to cross it and reach to each other. And yet during all those years Jonathan sent a loud and telling message home, one that was never answered, never heard. Every week, without a fault, he sent a blank letter home, his father's name carefully spelled out on the envelope. When the time came to decide what he might want to study again, he rebelled. Sitting in front of his father, the Cambridge-educated man, he thought of the most unusual choices, anything that would allow him never to measure himself against the big man. Eventually, he settled down on a choice. He was going to study to become a helicopter pilot. And that is when started the extraordinary life of Jonathan. Like a river, sometimes fast-flowing, sometimes raging, never peaceful, in constant motion, taking him naturally from one place to the next, from one experience to the next. From years of high life fun in the wealthy west end of London to hours of flying in the wild Scottish skies, to Germany involved in tennis, then in gardening, landscaping, learning to speak fluently another language, to being loved by an extraordinary and free woman, older, to live on the side of a lake in a tent, and to follow a girl to Quito in Ecuador, to walk from one South American city to another, to eventually arrive back in England and start his own company. And finally, to meeting the girl of his dreams. One night in London, At a party he didn't want to go to. She had been standing in the kitchen, speaking to people. She was amazingly graceful, and her blonde hair was lit up by the low kitchen lamp, surrounding her in a golden halo. And she had simply turned back and looked at him, her eyes huge in her face. He had only needed that look, to love her fully, utterly, for her to be his wife and the mother of his three sons. Everything Jonathan did in his life, he did it fully. Some fires burn over long periods of time, smouldering, puffing, the embers red, This fire burned fast, always bright, giving a huge amount of light and heat. And then his father became sick, and time became precious. Jonathan came to visit, often, in the family home. He had been moved in the small room downstairs. There was enough space for the single hospital bed and a chair, at the other end of the room on which Jonathan sat. In the softness of the afternoons, when the shadows stretch just a little longer, they exchanged a lot. Things were said and Jonathan, in wonder, slowly discovered that the bond between father and son was intact now stripped of all expectations and judgments, leaving it bare, leaving it to what it was all along. Love. With his father's death, a bit of Jonathan's anger left him. The old man must have taken some with him to the ground, maybe the bit that belonged to him, and that offered him some sort of closure, maybe a reset button? I cannot speak for him. Months later, he was sitting with his mother. He had started speaking to her a lot more. The contact was becoming easier, simpler, rawer. And one day, he had just needed to know. The letters. The blank letters. Why were they never mentioned? And his mother looked at him. Slightly puzzled, she said she thought he had had his reasons to do so, she had respected his need to express something he wanted to say. She said that each one broke her heart, week after week, opening the envelopes carefully, hoping for the pages to bear words the blank pages, staring at her in their potency. She told him the tearing his departure for school had in her. She told him how, after leaving him at the airport all those years ago, she had climbed back into her car, collapsed on a steering wheel and sobbed. And Jonathan was able to explain to her about the letters, the dinner, that moment of shift. He also told her that he hadn't been unhappy at prep school. And the words they exchanged that time slowly interlaced themselves together into a thread, weaving tacitly the canvas of their relationship. Was there a need for forgiveness? Jonathan doesn't think so. Years and experience becoming a father himself have taught him that his parents did their very best with what they had, how they could, and that if sometimes it felt as if they lacked insight or understanding, they never lacked love. Et voilà. I hope you have liked Jonathan's story. I thank him so much for letting me voice it. I think he was so brave to stand so bare in front of us. Often, during his interview, he came back to the fact he felt he hadn't reached his full potential. But what struck me, really, while speaking to him around a pint that July evening in the beer Garden next to the river and delving into his story is that from where I am standing Wow! It is pretty impressive It is a bit like looking at the sun Thank you so much dear air incubators for your reviews, your messages and of course your stories If I can ask you a favour this week Choose one friend, just one, that might enjoy this airing cupboard and send him or her the link. Thanks a million in advance. I wish you all a very good two weeks and until we meet again in the airing cupboard. Goodbye.